Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. Uh, quite a few sailing boats around, having a nice sail. It's, it's glorious out here. Blue sky, some little white clouds, and a lovely sparkle on the water. And it's not cold, which is great. This is Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. A radio documentary series for East Coast FM. Hello and welcome to Sea Stories. I'm John Murphy and in this series I'm going to be talking with many different people about their lifelong involvement with the sea. I've been sailing for over 40 years and in that time I've met some really interesting people and fascinating stories. For some the sea has been given them a livelihood. For others it's an obsession, perhaps even a love affair and all are passionate about the time they spend on the water. Today we're sailing with David Gerrard, Ireland's best known navigator Dave is a sailor, a teacher of all things nautical, and a boat builder. Right now, we're just leaving Dunleary Harbour. When is it proper to go off the engine here and sail? Do you have to be out of the harbour to do that? Uh, yeah, I have to ask the skipper. I'm only, I'm only the, the, I'm the helm. Well, I always turn it off as soon as I possibly can, on the basis that uh, if you can do it safely, you're fine. And that's now. There you go. See, I, I, I'm only the go boy. I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't be competent. You have to ask the master before God. <laughs> or before Sunday. Yeah, keep hauling her before Sunday. <laughs> this is Sea Stories. Lives touched by the sea. My name is David, David Gerard. I grew up in lots of places, really. Um, some of them are by the sea, yes, in Bridlington and Scarborough in, in England. And uh, then um, in Iskerry, which is not really by the sea, but there's a river there that goes down to the sea, so we were kind of joined to it. But I, I will admit, I, I wouldn't like to live away from the sea, really. I do, I do enjoy it a lot of the time. It's a challenge. David Gerard has always lived by the sea and began his sailing career in Antibes in the south of France in 1964. Um, what can I tell you? I've been sailing since 1964, when I first started in France, and ever since then, and uh, it is my life. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of golf or anything like that, or tennis, I, I love sailing. He started out crewing on super yachts and later as a delivery skipper for yacht brokers and charter companies. He has worked in America and at the Mediterranean. I can remember as a child, a little child, sort of four or five years old, helping a man next door build a boat um, vaguely. And looking back at it, I don't think I could have been a help, but I do remember it vaguely. Uh, and I remember going out in the boat to go fishing with him when, he, when he'd built it, but I don't think he wanted to take me, but I think he felt he really had to. Uh, other than that, it would have been, I'd have been, I suppose, in my 20s, 19, 20-year-old, before I got any other interest in boats. Before that, it was motorbikes and cars, as the neighbours would tell you. Okay, so you've been sailing a long time. Tell us about tell us your most your longest voyage. Tell us about the, the most interesting voyage, the longest voyage. Oh, yeah. most, different things most, probably. Most, most, I couldn't give you the most interesting. I'd have to say I enjoyed them all. Yeah. You know, and find them all interesting. Different. Things happen, but long ones would be in the sort of three thousand mile range, which would be equivalent to transatlantic. Yeah, which done. Um, I, I've, I've done. I don't know. Um, they're they're all interesting. I I I, can't, I couldn't put one before the. We did one a couple of years ago. Um, which was from Bordeaux in France to a place called Biograd, which sounds like a washing powder, but it was in... It does, doesn't it? You know, 20% more... No, Biograd, your money, <laughs> exactly. More Biograd, well, yeah, which was up in uh, Croatia. And that that's was... interesting one, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, because we, we, we went through places, which I like. Um, 
that was around about 3,000 miles as well. Yeah, but um, and so we went through the Straits of, Strait of Messina, Gibraltar, um, Sicily, Sardinia, all these sort of places across Dubrovnik, and then, and then up through the um, what's that thing, the Adriatic. The problem with what I do with deliveries is that we can't stop. We, we, oh we yes. Literally, well, we could, but the owner's not going to employ me anymore because he wants his boat not to hear we're having a wonderful time in Sardinia, you know. Um, but but it was interesting the place that we went and we had some lovely sailing there. The, 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 the sail I remember most of all would be only a little short one. It was across a lake in Florida called Okeechobee, Lake Okeechobee. And we were going from one side from Fort Lauderdale, which is on the, I think it's the, 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 the east side, I can't, uh, over to the other side, St. Petersburg. And this lake is, I think, about 20 miles across. And we were taking, uh, and they, then they've got the rivers and canals down. <coughs> and we were sailing across that in a small, but myself and a, um, another guy from work over there. And it was a lovely night with a breeze like this. Being Florida, of course, it was mild. And there was light, there was a full moon, and there was the Florida lightning. And we were sailing across this thing, magic. almost daylight. The lightning was everywhere. It was magic, yeah, magic, magic. I loved that sail. I, I still remember that, you know. It's just a perfect day to be out on Dublin Bay and to talk with David. Right now, we are sailing gently along under a blue sky with the Dublin mountains off to starboard. Dunleary Harbour behind us and just the sound of the water and the boat as we adjust our sails. David teaches Yachtmaster cruising courses with his company Seacraft, and this is where he is best known. He has shared his experience with thousands of others as a teacher of navigation and seamanship. He's a Yachtmaster instructor for both sail and power, and is now chief examiner for the Irish Sailing Association's Yachtmaster Cruising Scheme. We'll have to go about in a moment and set our course to sail out past Dawkey Island. Brayhead is in the distance as we continue our conversation. How did you get into that? What started? How did you get into the teaching? I've done well in terms of what people think of what they get from what, what I do, perhaps, I think. Um, not because I'm a teacher, but because I actually have done it. Well, that's um, it with yeah. knobs on. and practitioner, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I've, I'm lucky I've sailed a huge amount of oceans of the world and places, been to a million little places you've never heard of, but you go into in a boat. Channel Islands or yeah. Devil's Island, the Amazon, you know, um, yeah. Madagascar, Zanzibar, you know, these places. Um, Singapore, South China Sea. I think it's a fun sense of humour carries everything through, you know. Yeah. When you, when you go on the course, first of all, it seems so much to learn, right? Yes. And then as you go through it, it gets practical and, well, sort of, you know, logical. I, I, it's something I've often thought about. I've been inclined to say that probably 80% of the people who have done courses, which are literally thousands over the years, yeah. um, probably will never go very far in terms of, intentionally anyway, <laughs> you might say, but never really go very far in terms of what I like, which is cru- cruising distances. Um, but but they, they, they've, they've got a background, perhaps, to things. If you like any university, any course you do, you learn a lot of stuff that you'll never use. But it's there in the background, exactly. if you ever did, yeah. um, probably. And... Hugely that has changed, or what's brought about a huge change in what people call navigation, but boating, if you like, is GPS and the availability of electronic plotters and all the stuff which takes away the old thing of standing on the deck with a sextant and not not knowing where you were to 60 or 70 miles or even more. Um, Now people are upset if they don't have a position to within three inches. (laughs) But it's true enough, you know, with the GPS. And they sit looking at the plotter. Um, which is very handy, which is an electronic chart which shows your position using the, the GPS satellites. And um, 
you can a put yourself into danger with it and b lose a lot of the fun Before we had um, GPS uh, and uh, small boats that I would have been on, we wouldn't have had sextants then either. You did Everything was dead reckoning. So you yeah. left England or France or whatever and you headed for whatever and you tried to work out where you are. And then hopefully at some stage or other you'd see land or nighttime lighthouses, which are great because you could find a position from them. And the other way we used to find our position was if you saw a ship going by. We would have had VHF radios in those, the marine radios in those days. And if you saw a ship going by, it was great because you'd call them up and, and just have a chat on the radio. Where are you going, Skipper? Oh, that's all grand, yeah. Oh, you're from Arklaway. Blah, blah, blah. I say, and chat away. But they say, well, have a good trip. Uh, before you go, do you want to confirm your position with us? And you, you hear back, uh, you know, we've got uh, 52 degrees, 47 degrees. <laughs> and you're writing this down frantically. And then you get the position, you say, yeah, that uh, checks out with us about the same. Um, have a good trip. They say, Jesus, look where we are. <laughs> this is Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM. The sailing is your uh, passion. You might as well do the stages, you might as well go through it, you might as well do it, right? I'd yeah. love to be able to uh, just use the sextant, right? And that's the reason people do... I, I do three courses, and I'm not, not plugging this, just so you know. There's a Yacht Master Coastal, Yacht Master Offshore and Yacht Master Ocean. And the last one, the Yacht Master Ocean, is purely about using a, how to find your position using a sextant. It's nothing else. And the majority of people that do that with me, which nowadays is very few, I'm afraid, but the majority of people that do that do it out just wondering how. How, why, how it was done. My grandfather did it all the time, and I did it before we had, uh, once we're out of sight of land. Yeah. Um, there's nothing magic in it, except, except, I have to say this, I do it now for fun, because obviously I have GPS, yeah. uh, nearly every boat, and I bring my own. I do it only for fun. But there is something magic about seeing three or four stars and using them to find out where you are, to an accuracy of maybe half a mile, maybe ten miles, but it doesn't matter. Much. But it's enough and when you're using it in deep oceans, course, it's fine. But the point is, those stars you're using, they probably disappeared millions of billions of years ago, and they're so far away the light is still coming. And I can find out, with a bit of luck and a bit of help, uh, where I am from that. And that's, that's, um, that's fun. Today we're aboard a cruising sailing boat, and we've now reached Kalani Bay. If we'd set off aboard a motorboat, we'd probably be approaching Wicklow at this point. I've been a cruising sailor all my life, but there's a whole community of motorboat sailors too. But the principles of navigation and seamanship are the same. Uh, once you're out in the sea, uh, the, the, the things you've got to face are going to be the same, bad weather and so on. A motorboat often has the bonus, that you, particularly fast one, that you can get in quickly yeah. if bad weather is coming. Um, on the other hand... Certainly with deliveries of motorboats, and I've done three or four thousand mile trips with them, the big problem is fuel. Huge problem is fuel. Um, You've uh, got to do it. In fact, last week I took a boat to Phoenix. We had to do four fuel stops. And that is the problem. It's getting fuel, not getting somewhere on a Friday for fuel, because he won't be back in until Monday and all this sort of stuff. Um, The the motion can be much more uncomfortable. Uh, and um, sailing is usually quieter and like this, nice and comfortable. Now, in a fast boat in this, we'd be airborne half of the time. And to be honest, if I'm doing a delivery and it's fast, it goes fast. Yeah. Because <laughs> I get paid by the mile, not by the hour. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I like them. They both have their, their uses, if you like. Yeah. 
And uh, well, you have a sailing boat, obviously, and you know. If you go cruising, which is going somewhere for fun, you're going to be using the engine probably 50% of the time, uh, aren't you? Oh, yeah, people don't want to admit that, but they do. Of course they do, that's what it's for. Yeah. What else are, exactly. You know, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Cruising around Ireland, you're going to need an engine to get around. You're invariably 50% of the time the wind's going to be the wrong. Yeah. going to support you. Well, whatever it's going to be. Um, uh, in fact, one of the, I remember years and years and years ago when I was first sailing from Bray with friends of mine, that, uh, there's five of us, we had a little boat, a 21-footer, and three of them were going off to the Isle of Man, and this thing was organised for weeks beforehand. There were lists of what they were to bring and to change the money to sterling and all this sort of stuff. And they left Bray Howell and waved them off like that. The, yeah. the, the, the voyagers, they were following the footsteps of Drake, uh, <laughs> going off, you know, more or less, going off to the Isle of Man. We waved goodbye and start the next morning. We, we woke up, they were still there off Bray Harbour. <laughs> <laughs> with a light wind going the wrong, they were attacking. They were still hadn't moved a foot. Still, <laughs> the following day, they were still there. Um, they never made it to the Isle of Man. In the end, they only because they wouldn't start the engine because it was, which to me is silly. silly. They finally made it to Carlingford, where their their, 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 their Sterling was exchanged Eish. for the same rate as punts. <laughs> so they lost on that as well. You're listening to Sea Stories: Lives Touched by the Sea here on East Coast FM. I'm John Murphy. My sailing companion today is David Gerard well-known yachtsman, navigation teacher and the chief examiner of the Irish Sailing Association's Yacht Master Cruising Scheme. There's another side to David that's well-known to those who have driven past his home in Bray and that's boat building. Over the years he has built several boats and is currently completing a 41-foot sailing boat. For David, it's part of his lifelong involvement with the sea. David likes to build every detail himself to a very high standard. Before I knew David, I knew his boat building projects. I'd often drive by his home to see a beautifully shaped hull completely filling his garden and wonder whose boat it was. On the 28th of August 1986, he launched that boat after 12 years of work. It was one day before Hurricane Charlie. I built everything. I got a sewing machine, did the upholstery, all the welding, built the hull, everything, everything, total, that was finished. And I launched it one day before Hurricane Charlie. I think, if I remember, the 28th of August 1986, if I remember rightly, uh, around then anyway. And it was about the first boat to break adrift. It had been launched one day before. It was out in the thing, and it ended up in the heap in the corner there with 36 boats on top of it, because that was a, a, a very bad um, storm we had here. After 12 years? Yeah, so I had it for a day, half a day. And uh, managed to save it thanks to a huge amount of work from other people. I can still see a guy in a suit, shirt and tie wading through the sea to get a rope across the other side of the harbour and, and so on, anyway. anyway. But the funny side of it was afterwards, I, two things. Firstly, I couldn't get off the boat for two days and there's no mobile phones. So I wanted to bring the insurance company because I'd only insured it a couple of days beforehand with an English company, which I just picked, gave me the best quote. And I still remember the names. Um, it was still in business, I think. So I went up to the phone box so I could get off the thing and I rang. So I said, uh, my name is... De- oh, yes, Mr Gerard, how are you? Uh, and I said, I'm fine, thanks. Um, I said, did you get my cheque for the thing? She said, no, it hasn't arrived yet, but I saw it will arrive soon. And I said, well... Um, when you get it, would you keep the envelope with the postage date on it? And he said, oh, yes. Is there anything else I can do for you? He said, you can send me a claims form. He said, oh, you Irish, you're always joking, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Not this time, dear. <laughs> <laughs> the other funny side of it was, um, obviously the boat had to be taken out and it took a year to repair it. It was badly damaged. And we staggered over to Hoth and it just have, just to use it once. 
uh, Noreen's my wife and Mark Summers there and I think uh, Elaine my daughter and a friend of hers are kids and we went over to Hoth I mean when it's, it was shaking you want to see it the, the rails were all on the deck there's planks sticking out half the wood all the paint was gone off one side only one engine worked and that was shaking oh it was a terrible state it looked as if it had been rolled over and over and up on the driveway sort of thing we went around to Hoth Marina there was a very nice gentleman there I can't remember Tom I think his name was and uh, when we were coming in, he came up, he saw us and he said, uh, what, he shouted across the room, what, was she damaged in Hurricane Charlie? And I said, no, we've only just bought it, we haven't got the hang of parking it yet. And if you could have seen his face with millions of pounds on the boat side, this thing is coming in. <laughs> <laughs> wrecked out of planks sticking out the side everything your, your night uh, marina marina operator's nightmare you know <laughs> um, but it was um, a hard old pill to take after 12 and 40 years but you have to have that in boating you buy your boat and you're going to have problems and when, when you sort them out then you start to enjoy the boat and it's what makes you realize how nice it is yeah nobody gets in the boat and sails off it no, you're going to have also, problems so one we're learning all about is fixing all the problems yeah absolutely yes absolutely and in fact in some ways a new boat can be a little bit more risky than an older boat because people have worked on the problems yeah uh, you know but uh, you always have something to do so i always start the season a big long list I get good at making lists. Yeah, but you can use them year after year, though, can't well, you? Same list, yeah, same same list. from last year that I have this year, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you, you can underline and put a red yeah, well, now I've got sort a of marker. organised with a spreadsheet on Excel, right? So I have little red boxes of the ones that are urgent, green, uh, yellow oh, boxes of the ones I must do, yeah. and green ones I'd like to do. Yeah. I never get beyond yellow. No, really. no, the computer's the way to do it, because it looks very sort of... It looks like you're already organised. Yes. It looks like you know what you're yes. doing. But, yes, yes, uh, yes, exactly, yeah. And you spend more time doing that than working on the boat. I love boats. I love going out in a boat. Um, I love uh, the whole the whole thing. It's, it's escapism and it's a challenge. As soon as you leave the harbour in the boat and you get a little bit out, they, whoever they are, they can't get you. There's no letters, there's no bloody phones. You can't. Um, you're, you're, you're just there and it's you and you have to sort the problems. Absolutely. It yeah. is you and sort out the problems as, uh, as they are. I, I find that uh, problems I couldn't, I wouldn't think of being able to sort, I'm able to sort become more resourceful do you think? Well, have to. Because you put aside the fact that you might be able to get somebody to help it and you can do it. Yes. It, it, it does away the, with this entitlement concept we all yeah. have now that you're entitled to be saved, you're entitled to be this young. You're not entitled to anything when something goes wrong. Fix it. Fix it. You've got yeah. to do it yourself. Exactly. exactly. Today we've been sailing with David Gerard, a great sailor and teacher. To find out more about David log on to his website seacraft.ie So what makes a good sailor? Jimmy Cornell, author of World Cruising Routes, the Bible for sailors intending to cross oceans, says, It first starts with a love of the sea and because you want to sail the oceans for its own sake. And second, you need to respect it. Be humble in front of nature, not cocksure and arrogant, because nature and the oceans are more powerful than you. In other programmes in this series, We'll talk with men and women who have sailed around the world, who have crossed oceans, and all understand this. If you want to hear more programmes and clips from other programmes in the series, head over to our website, seastories.ie. I'm John Murphy. Join me next time on Sea Stories. Next time on Sea Stories. When I got out there, the feeling of peace, calm, and detachment from quite a busy family life, busy... I never had so much time, if you like, I was married when I was 20 and we had our four children before I was 30 so we, 
a lot of time was spent with the family and being out there was the first time that I can remember and I, I was the eldest of a, of a family of six it's the first time I can actually remember having just so much time just for me and although there were four other crew members on board they were there just for themselves it was it's your 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 responsibility you know they're not they're not responsible for you and although they they have your back and all that sort of thing um it, it was just an incredible feeling of suddenly just having all this space for myself even though it was only a 45 foot boat Sea Stories is a 21st century Vox production for East Coast FM and the programme was produced by Pat Hannan. Find out more information about Sea Stories. Visit our website, seastories.ie or go to facebook.com forward slash seastoriesireland or follow us on Twitter at seastoriesirl. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, with funding from the Television Licence Fee.